Hello, and welcome back to the Nourish Circle podcast. I am Lori Schertz-Amudio, registered dietitian and host of this show. I am so excited to share this conversation with you today. I spoke to Lindley Ashline, who creates photographs that celebrate the unique beauty of bodies that fall outside conventional beauty standards. She fights weight stigma by giving fat people a safe place to explore how their bodies look on camera and by increasing the representation of fat bodies in photography, advertising, fine art, and the world at large. Lindley is also the creator of Body Liberation Stock and The Body Love Shop. Find Lindley's work and get her free weekly body liberation guide at her website, which we are going to post in the show notes. This was an awesome conversation. I have to say that at times we got a little like, ah, because we were talking a lot about how clinicians can make their spaces safer and more welcoming for larger bodies and the work that we need to do as clinicians in order to do that. I absolutely love Lindley's work, and I really loved this conversation. In fact, in my brain, I was like, is there a way I can do a part two so I get to talk to Lindley again? Um, So maybe that will come up in the future. One can only hope. But I really hope that you are able to take something from this today in order to improve your practice. Um, If you're a dietitian or a therapist or a clinician working with larger bodies, because I think there's so much work that we do need to keep doing. And Lindley shares some of that with us. So enjoy. Hello, Lindley. Welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. Thank you. So excited to have you here today. Um, And I was excited to connect with you after following your work for so long. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's a delight to be here. Um, Before we get started, I was just wondering if there's any identities or privileges that you would like to share with our audience. Yeah, yeah, I feel like uh, sharing these things is actually really important. And I'm so glad that you ask your your podcast guests, uh, because the identities that we hold affect how we see the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I'm 41 years old. I'm a cisgender white woman uh, who lives in the United States. Uh, I do live in a very fat body. And you'll hear me use the word fat throughout this episode. And when I say the word fat, I'm using it as a neutral descriptor of larger bodies. Uh, it's not an insult. It's not a, I'm not being self-deprecating. Uh, that is, that is uh, a word that I and many other people have reclaimed. Uh, you don't have to use it for yourself, but I want you to know why I'm using it. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, um, I'm a small business person and, uh, and I also live with anxiety and autism. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I really appreciate your um, explaining of using the word fat, because I do think that many people get a little taken aback when they hear someone say, oh, I'm fat, and and not realizing that so many people within the community are reclaiming that word. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, And what I wanted to talk about today was just kind of that, that how can I as a clinician, I'm a registered dietitian, work with individuals in larger bodies? And how can we get conversations started? How can we, how can we be safer? Um, Because I think that's one of the concerns that I'm seeing in healthcare is that we are, we're not taking care of larger body clients as we should be. Yeah, and this this is something that I'm actually doing more and more consulting on these days because uh, people are recognizing that uh, that people in larger bodies aren't able to access healthcare 
in in the way that we should be able to in a way that is uh, equitable and and respectful and dignified and uh, and uh, note that when I'm talking about healthcare specifically, uh, I am coming from a U.S. perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which is, of course is is quite a bit different, uh, just in the logistical side and the insurance side and so on, uh, than the than the Canadian side. But mm-hmm. um, but there's just weight stigma affects how pro- healthcare providers interact with larger bodied people, with fat people, on so many levels. Um, and more and more people are both becoming aware of this and becoming invested in fixing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's so pervasive. It's everything from uh, what are your chairs like in the waiting room to uh, do you have a blood pressure cuff that's going to fit me to uh, do you have internalized uh, weight stigma that you are communicating to your patients um, to uh, when you refer people out to other providers, are you referring them to people who are going to treat them badly? Um, there's there's so many layers to this, and, and it's a, it's become such a complicated topic um, because the way that providers feel internally uh, about fat folks uh, is then expressed in all these physical things. Um, mm-hmm. If you are reluctant to pull out to go rummage around and pull out your large blood pressure cuff. Uh, so that you can give me an accurate blood pressure reading, I can sense that, <laughs> even uh-huh. if, even if you think you're hiding it, um, <laughs> and, and that that mindset around fat people, um, I'm going to be really blunt. Um, somewhere around there have been studies, and somewhere around 20% of MDs um, don't want to touch fat people. Um, I have personally had a doctor who didn't who would not touch me. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and, and those are that in that study, that was just the people who would admit to it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mind you, um, somewhere around 50% of MDs think that fat patients are automatically non-compliant. Um, the statistics are really horrifying because of course, not only, uh, is the, the, the weight stigma of society at large uh, of the developed world, um, expressed throughout our culture, um, but then we also have the, when you add the healthcare aspect onto it, um, it it's not only is it more severe, but it, it's life and death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are so many stories of, of people who have died from cancer because they had unexplained weight loss and were congratulated for it instead of that being yes. investigated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so big picture wise, um, healthcare as a whole has to get past uh, the weight stigma in order to create systemic change. Um, You know, you have to, again, to be really blunt, you have to get over being disgusted by fat bodies. You have to get over not wanting to touch fat bodies. You have to get over thinking that we're gross and non-compliant and slobs and gluttons and and that uh, things like, I don't generally use the words obese or obesity because they are uh, terms that medicalize perfectly normal variants of human bodies. Um, But, but you have to get over considering quote obese people um, to be like the opposite of anorexia, which is nonsense. Fat people get eating disorders too. Um, Restrictive eating disorders as well. Yeah. (laughs) But, but you got to get over hating fat people, plain and simple. Um, and so 
from a big picture standpoint and a long-term standpoint, you've got to do the internal work. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, and, and that is, that's hard. That's hard because we have hundreds of years of, of stigma and, and fat phobia and, and fat hatred, uh, fat nausea, if you want to use the academic term. Um, we have hundreds of years of reinforcement. And so working that out, that's a lifelong, uh, that's a lifelong uh, thing that mm-hmm. if you're not working on, now's a good time to start. Yep. Um, and, and that sort of mindset adjustment. Um, I do recommend that you work with a health at every size aligned therapist for that. Mm-hmm. Um, please don't ask random fat people on Instagram to guide you through that work for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't yep. see, uh, you can't see this as you listen to our, to this episode. Um, but we have our video on right now and Lori just face palmed. <laughs> yep. I did because it happens and it drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing is that too, again, this is such a big topic that I I want to address all of it at once. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first, I want to talk about some really concrete things that you can do, no matter how you feel about fat people to make the health, whatever healthcare you're providing more accessible to fat people. Um, But first, the, the first objection that I always get is, well, but being fat is unhealthy. (laughs) And, and if this is say a troll on Instagram, they just say that if it's a clinician, they say it in academic language, but it means the same thing. And, and from a, from a scientific standpoint, um, I do want to note that I am neither an academic or nor a researcher. Um, But I have yet to have anyone be able to show me uh, a peer reviewed study in which a significant number of participants lost more than 10% of their body weight and kept it off for more than five years. Yep, so I haven't seen one. we don't have a reliable, we don't have a reliable way to make fat people less fat or to make fat people thin. So we need to deal with the bodies that, that we're dealing with right now, <laughs> you know, and, and if you think that a fat person should become thinner, um, you know, cool, prove it <laughs> um, from a, from a, in my layperson language, cool, bro prove it. Um, (laughs) and until then we deserve, I mean, even if, even if we did have a way to make fat people, then we would still fat people would still deserve healthcare. Um, but I do highly recommend reading the book body respect, uh, by Linda Bacon, uh, Linda now goes by Lindo just to be clear, but, but when they wrote the book, they wrote it under Linda Bacon and Lucy Aframore. Um, the, the book goes into all the science that you could ever want about why intentional weight loss doesn't work. And, and again, that's not necessarily my lane. So I don't want to delve too far into that today. I really want to focus on some more practical things that we can do. That was my entry point was that book. Mm-hmm. I can, yeah, it's, um, and it, I do, I recommend it to many as well um, as start here and then we'll go. Yeah. Um, so that, I, that was amazing as an introduction of all the stuff that we need to, because sometimes I sit here as me in my little tiny office going, okay, what can I do mm-hmm. to change this massive systemic problem? Um, all realizing that I can make change within my office. 
So if other dietitians or healthcare providers, therapists are listening, what are some things that you would recommend them to start I, I, this process of becoming more uh, weight inclusive um, and less fat phobic? If you could fix the fat phobia in the world, that would be great. <laughs> uh, because it all stems from, it all stems from there, I think. Yeah. And I think, I think while we're talking about books and talking about resources, it's really important. Um, you know, you just said, oh, it stems from there. And so these things have come together really neatly to talk about this for a moment. So this is something that, that was new to me a couple of years ago. Um, and this is something that I'm really learning about now. Um, but what's actually happened is that fat phobia um, the fear and hatred of fat bodies uh, stems from racism. And again, this was, this is relatively new to me. I had no idea. Um, there is an absolutely phenomenal work that was released a, a couple of years ago uh, called Fearing the Black Body by Dr. Sabrina Strings. Um, it is, uh, if you're, if you're going to read anything in the next year, body respect and fearing the black body are really uh, really, and, and not just personal reading, this is vital professional reading. Um, Fearing the Black Body traces back four or 500 years of racism and demonstrates how, uh, how fat phobia was created as part of racism. So as a white woman, um, I'm essentially collateral damage. And that doesn't mean that I don't experience fat phobia. I have some stories, <laughs> both medical and both medical and non-medical. But uh, but it means that people who are in brown and black bodies um, get the worst of it. So so I'm always I always try to note that when I'm speaking about this because yes, it affects me and other white people, um, but it affects you know black folks more because it was created specifically as part of a system of oppression aimed at them. So, so that is really important to note. That's where it's coming from. And so when you get feedback from people in black and brown bodies, uh, you know, it's even more important to take that into account. Mm -hmm. So that said, let's talk about practical things. Um, All right. so, so there's your mindset. There's your challenging your belief system around fat bodies. But let's talk about your physical spaces. Um, I've, I've, <laughs> I once had a dermatologist that I went to for a few years where I literally could not sit down in his waiting room. I had to stand in this little bitty waiting room and, and like lean, like lean back over the chairs when, <laughs> when someone else would come in so that they could get through. Um, oh it was goodness. absolutely humiliating. And, uh, and at the time I was not as strong of an advocate for myself as I am now. And I, I didn't know how to say your waiting room chairs are all tiny and they have arms. I can't sit in them. What are you going to do to fix it? You know, if nothing else, can I wait in an exam room or something? Yeah. Um, but seriously, can people sit down in your waiting room? Do you have at least a couple of armless chairs? <laughs> it's, it's really, some of it is really that simple. Do you have a large blood pressure cuff? Uh, do you have uh, exam rooms with tables for the people who, you know, clinicians who have exam rooms? Um, are the tables sturdy enough so that it can fit on them? If you're a massage therapist, is your table wide enough to accommodate larger bodies? Um, these are things that 
when you move through a space and you're in a smaller body, you literally don't notice them because those aren't obstacles for you. Um, but, but take a walk through your space and just pretend that whatever body you live in, and of course, not everyone who is listening to this is going to have a smaller body, but whatever body you live in, um, assume uh, that it's three times as large. And if you need to, if you need to hold your hands out from your sides to make that happen or, or, you know, whatever, whatever thing you need to make that visible to you, mm-hmm. um, move through your space, see if you can squeeze between the exam table and the wall, see if you can get between the door and that potted plant, <laughs> whatever, whatever, yeah. um, just move through your space. And then also, uh, once you have done that, you know, see what you can fix. I understand that not everyone is in a building where they control everything. It's entirely possible that you're a part of a practice where you can't just wave a magic wand and change everything in the waiting room or wave a magic wand and buy new tables. Um, but this is your point to start advocating. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is, a lot of this is work. You know, a lot of it is not glamorous. It's advocating for as long as necessary to get an armless chair into your waiting room. It's, it, you know, it's sucking it up and investing in what you need, uh, whatever kind of equipment you need to serve all kinds of bodies, mm-hmm. not just the ones that are socially acceptable. And, you know, I often hear clinicians um, give feedback or give pushback in the sense that it feels like an expensive extra. It's like, oh, I have invested all this money into my business and now I gotta do more. And the thing is that once again, this is a mindset thing because at least in the US, I don't have Canadian stats on me, but in the US, people who are quote, overweight or obese mm-hmm. are something like two thirds of the population. Yeah, I think <laughs> you know, similar, not only yeah. is not, right. yeah, not only is, uh, you know, our, our larger people, the majority of the population, we're not, we're not like this weird little niche population that needs, that has extra special needs that, that it would just be ridiculous to consider fulfilling. We're the majority. Um, and, and the fact that businesses aren't already built to accommodate larger bodies is evidence of fat phobia, whether you intended to or not. It doesn't make yeah. you a bad person. It's just something that you didn't know and now you do. Um, but it's also a market opportunity. This is a business opportunity for you to be the one that welcomes people in larger bodies. So, mm-hmm. so this sort of pushback that I occasionally get that, that people think it's, you know, having to, having to do something extra, it's really not. And even if it were, uh, again, if I can't sit in the, the dermatologist waiting room, then I'm going to go to the dermatologist I see now who has a variety of chairs in their waiting room. I don't have to stand. <laughs> you know, I can sit on this nice padded bench. I could sit in that, uh, that chair over there without arms, or I could sit in one with arms. Yeah. It, it seems so simple to me that when you have a business where people are coming to you, that you want to be welcoming to everybody that comes in um, because they're your clients, they're your business, they're, right? Like it's, 
I would want you to, I would want to sit before standing and waiting for, I don't know about your doctors. Ours are never on time. Um, so sometimes standing for 25 minutes to 30 minutes is just, it's not comfortable. And regardless of the size of your body, like some people can't stand, like, it's just, that's ridiculous to me. <laughs> and the blood pressure cuff thing always blows my mind. I have seen this, um, with my mother who lives in a larger body and, always being like, you have super high blood pressure, you have super high blood pressure. And finally, I was just said to her, I, I said, what size cuff do they use? And they were using a too small cuff. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, your blood pressure is not high. <laughs> it's just mind blowing to me that years and years and years of not even thinking to switch the cuff. Yeah. Don't we teach that in school? Shouldn't we teach that in school? You know, honestly, I don't know. I don't know either. Again, I'm not a clinician. I have no, no idea what y'all are getting taught. No, I'm just thinking like, I, I, I didn't do nursing. I'm just like, now I feel like I need to ask somebody. They just, what do you, what do you learn about that? Because I know as a dietitian, I was, I was taught to shrink bodies, mm -hmm. right? That's the education I got. And that never sat well, but I think, oh, I know that a lot of internalized fat phobia gets reinforced mm -hmm. going through these professions. And then you go out and you're like, oh, but I can fix that or whatever terminology they're using. Um, when people don't need to be fixed, right? Yeah, and that's part of that's part of treating fat people with dignity and respect. If I walk in and I'm in a fat body, not only am I probably there about something, <laughs> You know, um, I have probably come to see you for a reason, um, but I'm not, I'm not an opportunity for you to save me. Mm -hmm. um, there is an increasing, uh, increasing strain of thought uh, or, a, or um, I don't know, maybe a meme in the, like the old fashioned sense of, of a cultural strain of thought um, that says that it's not fat people's fault that they're fat. It's because they're sick and we need to cure them of their obesity. And you mm. see this in, I get real salty about this um, because you see this in things like these, uh, these obesity action councils. And, uh, and I know, I know the Canada one has been particularly showing their tail in the last couple of years. Yes, and, <laughs> and you see it in things like people with obesity. I don't, you know, I live with anxiety. Anxiety is a disorder. There is a problem with my brain mm -hmm. um, that I treat in various ways. I don't live with obesity. My body is fat. Um, every, every woman in my family is fat. We are German peasants. And, and you know, and for, for hundreds of years, we've been fat because it has kept us alive. Mm -hmm. The fact that I'm sitting here in my fat body is because I'm a survivor. <laughs> Yeah. I don't, I don't need to be saved from my human body. Um, so, so just not, you know, just treat me for whatever I'm there for. Um, mm -hmm. An intentional weight loss, even if it might temporarily fix whatever I'm there for, um, because I can hear people, I can hear people saying, but what about diabetes right oh, now? Yes. And uh <laughs> And, you know, not only does intentional weight loss not necessarily quote, fix or cure or diabetes, since we don't have a way to meet people thin in the long term, you just end up making people weight cycle. That's mm -hmm. not saving me. That's going to give me more health problems. 
We now know that weight cycling and weight stigma are what's really actually dangerous, not just being a fat person. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so stop trying to fix people. Like I, there's this, just this increasing sense of pity of you're so you're, you're ill, you're sick, your body is evidence of disease. And that is, it's just, I know I'm getting really ranty here, but it's so toxic and and it has this veneer of, but we love fat people. We just want to help them. And again, uh, you know, we're not stupid. (laughs) We can tell that, you know, not only are you, you as an industry, again, not, I'm not attacking you, the listener personally, but Mm -hmm. you as an industry, um, are profiting off of erasing us and killing us. Um, weight loss surgery, not only is weight loss surgery, it it fails more than half the time in the sense that people regain that weight, because again, we don't have a way to make fat people people thin, but also have you seen how dangerous it is? People die all the time. They end up malnourished. That's what makes them sick. Not the fact that they were fat in the first place. Um, so, you know, just stop condescending to us. We know the world hates us. We know the world wants, wants us to go away. You know, there's a whole, here in the States, we have a whole war on obesity. Like that's my body you're warring with. My body is okay. You're not okay. And thanks for coming to my TED talk. (laughs) I loved it. Loved every second of it. Um, it, It's so true because like the, even the term war on obesity is so violent. it's there's nothing supportive there's nothing nothing it's just we have a war against you physically and that it it always blows my mind when I see that um so knowing that many clinicians are taught in very weight stigmatizing ways um and I know you already mentioned some some really great books what can an individual who is is wanting to move further into this, what kind of steps can they take? What um, further education or, or even, I guess, what can, what are, what is some language they can use with clients? Oh, I love, I love all these questions. I don't, I want to talk all day about each, every single one of them, but I think, I think there's what you can start doing personally. And then there's what you can start changing in your business. Cause there's more that you can do than just making sure there's normal sharing your weight around. So, so let's talk about the personal. Um, again, we talked about sort of starting to dig into that weight bias, especially the parts that were reinforced for you from your training, whatever training that you've had as a clinician or a provider, um, because that those trainings were almost certainly steeped in fat phobia and racism, because again, you know, we cannot ignore the racist component of this. Mm-hmm. Um to start being aware of where those fish hooks lie and pulling them out of your skin as you find them. Sorry, that's a disgusting analogy, but it's true. Um, starting to pull those things out. And, and again, that may require working with a therapist. It may require um, hiring someone like me for some consulting time where you can just ask all the things that, you know, but what about this? But what about this? Um, you know, or, or, uh, getting some consulting time with a health at every size educated uh, person in your specific clinical field um, who can talk to you about these things. Um, so there's that, that personal part of it. Um, and then 
a piece of advice that often gets given to uh, to people who have eating disorders, but also just to anybody who wants to start treating fat people better, um, in addition to uh, improving their own body image. Look at pictures of fat people. Watch videos where fat people are speaking about things. Uh, follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook. Um, I know that your time is extremely limited. This is important and this is worth it. Um, most of us, even though we are all very, very busy, still spend some time like on the yeah. toilet, scrolling Instagram or whatever. <laughs> find, find fat people to follow, find fat liberation activists to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole, there are 40 some, I've got an article on my website with like 40 some yeah. Uh, significantly fat people for you to follow because normalizing bodies of all sizes in your mind and not just the ones that get represented. And I'll come back to representation in a second too, but, but normalizing larger bodies in your mind uh, helps keep you from viewing them as grotesque or aberrant or shameful. Um, And it is absolutely vital that you treat fat people the, the real ones who are coming to you as patients, it's absolutely vital that you treat them with dignity and respect like you would anybody else. Because you know, part of the reason that we see fat people as unhealthy people is because we don't go to the doctor. We don't seek help because we're treated so badly. Yeah. You know, I, I, there, there have been medical issues that I personally have put off for years and years um, actually having them treated because I didn't think that I would be able to access treatment um, that, that consisted of more than just, we'll lose weight at fatty, <laughs> you know? So, so normalizing those bodies um, is, is very important. But then on the business side, um, start putting your words where, m- make the changes with words. Um, there are a couple of different ways you can do this. Um, one, like Lori was talking about is, sorry, there's somebody's car alarm is going off outside my window and I'm hoping it's not on the video, on the recording. <laughs> I thought At it was my window. So I just muted my microphone. I was like, is that me? <laughs> no, it's me. It's me. It's um, earlier today it was a leaf blower. You never know. No. At any rate, <laughs> the point is that Lori was asking like, what words to use with your clients? And this is a fascinating question. And I guarantee you that in 10 years, my answer will be different. Totally. Mm-hmm. Here in 2021, um, even a lot of fat folks don't want to be called fat, you know, because culturally it is still an insult. Um, people are getting banned on Facebook for calling other, for, for using the word fat because it's an, it's an insult. So, yeah. <laughs> and also as a fat person, um, if I see a clinician who is in a thin or thinner body using the word fat, unless they have been very clear about their opinions, I don't necessarily know how they're using it. Um, so a lot of clinicians are hesitant to use the word fat. And I, I think that's appropriate. I think that hesitation is appropriate. Um, but just a major change that you can that you can do right now is to scrub all of your materials, your website, your marketing, your office, uh, of the words obese and obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need a term, you can say people in larger bodies, people in higher weight bodies. Um, you know, there, there are several terms you can use that are respectful that aren't as polarizing as the word fat, 
but that also don't unnecessarily medicalize us. Uh, so I usually just advise using people in larger bodies. It's clear, it's accurate, and it's pretty neutral. Yeah. No, I, I uh, and then sorry, I just agreeing. Go ahead, Lori. <laughs> no, I was I was thinking that um, it's something that I, I get a lot of pushback from. Oh, but it, it's you know it's a term, it's a diagnosis, it's a right. We're supposed to use that in healthcare, and and I always say no. I don't like the word. I, I don't think um, people I work with like that word, but it, it's something that I'm just wondering, how can we really get away from it when it, it it's now a diagnosis according to whoever makes diagnosis of things? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's in the, it's in, at least here in the U S it's in the billing codes and things for insurance. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a combination of being the change you want to see mm-hmm. and also pushing back in your professional life. Um, so many people are uh, are on are in professional organizations around their areas of healthcare specialties. Push back, be the person who advocates. And and the thing is that yes, I understand that's professionally risky. Um, if you go into whatever uh, dietitian professional society or organization that you're a member of, and you're the person who gets on the education committee and you start pushing back about obesity. It is professionally risky, um, but I'm assuming that if there were a different marginalized population that your organization wanted wanted to, uh, you know, to talk about eliminating and condescending to and patronizing, that you would push back because it would be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and fat phobia, you can't compare oppressions. Fat phobia is not the same as racism and it's not the same as ableism. Each, each one is different and they layer on top of each other. Um, but it is your responsibility as a professional to do the least harm Mm -hmm. and to do the least harm that requires speaking out. And I mean, let me tell you as a fat photographer, um, I don't have very many photographer friends. I don't have people who refer people to me as clients. I don't have a professional network. And it is because I'm the fat photographer who photographs fat people and talks about fat all the time. (laughs) Um, you know, I, there have been professional consequences for me, um, but I can't escape those because I'm fat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so the least you can do is speak up in a committee meeting. Um, and the more people that do that, that's how we change the world. Um, these obesity action councils, they exist because they make money. Stop Mm -hmm. making it profitable. Stop referring people for weight loss surgery, stop, stop giving people metformin to make them, to try to make them thin. Um, stop diagnosing, uh, pre-diabetes just because people are fat, (laughs) you know, stop making it profitable. And, and that is, you know, you have the power here. Um, and I know that as an individual, you're like, well, you know, I'm just really, I'm, I'm a really busy person. I'm one person. Stop making it profitable. Stop sharing those materials, stop supporting them Um, because you and I as individuals, we can't change what Merck is doing. We can't change what Novo Nordisk is doing. We can't, we can't change that, but the less we support it, the better, because that is what changes it. Um, If, if half of the industry um, it says, Oh no, no. Why would you treat fat people like that? That's awful. That's, that's stigmatizing and medicalizing and it kills people. 
that's going to be a lot less profitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. It always comes back to money though. It really does. You know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, well, I've already talked about, <laughs> you can rewind and listen to what I said about medicalizing terms and how, how mm-hmm. I don't live with obesity. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it, increasingly it is being considered to be a diagnosis, uh, but my body is not inherently ill because it is fat. We have always had fat people um, in the same way that you wouldn't automatically medicalize someone who's very thin mm-hmm. or someone who has a particular birthmark. Um, like the, the big Weinstein birthmarks, like yeah. that's not an illness. Yeah. <laughs> you know? no, so true. Um, and, and yeah, at any rate, you can rewind and listen to that again, but, um, but yeah, uh, my body's not an illness. Yeah. And I think as clinicians, I agree, we need to start advocating more. Um, and I, I realized you said this a few minutes ago, but I a hundred percent love the the list you have for um, people to follow on Instagram on your website. Um, I went back through it and found like, I think four or five people that I hadn't already followed. And I was like, more, more, more. Um, And it's something that I do with a lot of clients as well, just to start to normalize body diversity for them. Um, And it's something um, I do with my students. I teach a college course um, as well, because you have to start seeing that. And the rest of social media is so, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Filtered? Filtered might be a good word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I would yeah. encourage people yeah. to go find that list and, and start following. Follow, 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 follow. Um, and, and you also start to learn yeah, some we, really we can great put it in things. The show notes too. Yeah. Yeah. You also start to, to learn some things, right. When you start to follow other advocates and you follow um, people whose lived experiences they talk about. Um, and, and I think I'm just thinking back to what we can do as um, clinicians is to honor the client's lived experience too. Right. When you say something is bothering you or something hurts, or I tell this to all dietitians, we need to believe people when they say what they eat. You can't look at a person's body and know what they eat ever. Yeah. Um, I love broccoli. I love broccoli. (laughs) I also love Cheetos. (laughs) Just, just, just like you, you know, I I don't like broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) I always joke I'm going to be fired from dietitian world because I hate broccoli. (laughs) No, like roasted broccoli with some pine nuts, olive oil, tons of garlic. Amazing. But that I might like. Yeah, yeah. I mean raw broccoli is fine, but yeah, we we do roasted broccoli a lot. I'm gonna try that. (laughs) This is now a recipe podcast. Exactly. Whatever direction we go, we go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We we have studies out there that that show that thin people eat approximately what fat people eat, you know, it's just I'm just like you. I'm a normal human being too. <laughs> you know, sometimes I eat ice cream and sometimes I don't. Um, but but yeah, talking about this normalizing bodies and representation, um, this is really where this is why a photographer is here talking to you about weight stigma. Um, because what I do is stock photography. Um, I also do client photography. I'm I do activism, I'm a writer, I do consulting, but the core, the heart of what I do is stock photography of fat people. 
Uh, and and it's one of the ways it, it's so cool because it's just it's just um, it just changes the world in every direction. Um, it gives people um, there are people who will use my website as also a way to learn to see fat bodies as normal because there are thousands of photographs of primarily fat people on the site and people will just go through and look at them um, for people who are in bodies like that. Sometimes it's the first time they've ever seen a body like theirs photographed respectfully ever. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so it changes the world for the people who are looking at them. Um, it changes, it changes lives for the people who are in those photos, because what kind of power does it give you for somebody to come to you and say, you know, I want your body to represent bodies like yours in a world where there is very little representation. Um, like what, what kind of power does that give the people in those photos? Um, but then for the people who, who buy the photos and use them in their marketing and on their website and on their social media, um, it changes the world directly there too, Mm -hmm. because it, because it is directly normalizing bodies. It is directly changing the representation. And also on top of that, I get so excited when I talk about this, um, on top of that, Again, this is a market opportunity. If I, you know, and there are many, many people with bodies like mine. I am not that, you know, a particularly outlying outlier on the the spectrum of human bodies. If I go to your website, um, you know, to your RD website or to your massage therapy website or your, your practices website, and I see a variety of bodies, um, and not just like smiling white thin woman laughing alone with salad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if I see bodies like mine, that's the practice I'm going to go to because I know that not only are you more likely to give me treatment, but that you were committed enough to it to represent me. That's amazing. That changes the world for pe- for the, the people who see your website. That, that brings you business, honestly, because if you've got a fat person on your website, I can assume that you're, you're at least more likely to have a blood pressure cuff that will fit me or a chair I can sit in. So again, you kind of have to, you kind of have to match this with action, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> because again, if I come to your practice because you put a fat person on your website and then, you know, and then you treat me poorly, well, I'm not going to come back, but, and then, then word gets around too. So then yeah. other fat people will hear about that. Um, but this is, it's such an easy way to change the world uh, and, and in so many directions. And I just, it's such vitalizing work to do. And I'm so proud of it because I'm right, right now I'm the only one in the world doing it. Yeah. Um, when I redid my website two years ago, um, all my stock photos are from you, um, which I just have to say, I have a whole second set for when I decide to redo it again, because I couldn't decide because there's so many beautiful ones. Um, but when I was working with someone and they're like, well, can you give me a couple names of places you want me to go to photos? I was like, no, there's only one. And this is where you're going to go. And this is what I want. And she was like, there's only one. I'm like, there's only one. Um, and it, it was just interesting to me because also this, they've done websites before and no one had really necessarily asked for that type of photo. Um, but I, I will tell you, I have gotten so much positive feedback from just the photos on the website and people ask me, where did oh, you get great. those? And 
um, and things like that. And, you know, it's, to me, it was just, a, it, it wasn't a big thought process to do. It was like, I wanted inclusive bodies everywhere. Um, yeah, it, it, but it was surprising when I, when I was like, oh no, there's only one, there's one place to go. That's the only spot we're going. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, and it, it, it's just startling how, you know, how few resources there are out there for this. Um, last year I was diagnosed, actually early this year, I guess, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. Um, it was sudden onset after some dental work. And if you want to talk about a fat phobic process, whew, oh, yeah. um, at any rate, <laughs> at any rate, I now use a CPAP machine and I named it Whistler because <laughs> if you've ever <laughs> been around one, if, if the seal gets loose, it makes us really loud whistling yeah. sound. Point being, um, when that started, you know, being on my radar, I went and looked to see what kind of photos I could find around CPAPs and, and sleep apnea is so associated with larger bodies. Um, whether, whether that is scientifically reasonable or not, it is so associated with larger bodies that I assumed that there would be some photos out there. Um, and there just really aren't, um, like respectful photos of fat people you using CPAP machines. And so my husband photographed me. And so now there's a whole set and I'll be releasing those soon. Uh, by the time you listen to this, you know, they, they may be up on the website, but like, how are how did this not exist? No, that that's nuts to me. Like that. Yeah. Oh, so much to change. This is only just a tiny little piece of the things. Um, but I also want to be very mindful of your time and I could talk about this for hours. I'm not going to lie. Like this could be a month long series. I think um, I like to finish up with a question of what is nourishing you right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, here in Seattle, we're heading into fall um, into sort of mid fall, which means that the gloom has arrived and the gloom will not go away until next July 4th. Really? I know that that Lori lives significantly further north than I do and is probably rolling her eyes right now about about <laughs> how much I hate Seattle winters. Um, but but last year um, I picked up the pandemic hobby of growing houseplants and I have I don't know somewhere north of 80 at least oh, wow. at this point. And because I discovered that having uh, green things, green growing things in the house and having this, the full spectrum lights <laughs> to, to make them grow um, during our long winters here um, was really nourishing to me as well. And so it's, it's helped significantly during the winter. So, so I'm spending a lot of time with my plants right now and, you know, gearing up for that long winter season with the, uh, uh, with the, all my different plants. And it just, it feels so cozy and wonderful. And it's just, yeah, it's really nourishing right now. Oh, that's cool. I have no plants in my house because I killed them all. So maybe you could shoot me a wreck sometime of what I won't kill. I killed succulents. I can kill anything. Um, so if people I'm, are- I'm not very good with, I'm not very good with succulents. They're hard. Oh, <laughs> see, I, they're not as easy as the internet makes me think they are. Um, they're not. So if people are interested in finding you, following you, where can they find you all on the interwebs? You can find all my work, including stock photos and consulting and the blog and everything else uh, at bodyliberationphotos.com. 
Um, I do send out three free stock photos every month in my newsletter, the body liberation guide. I, that is on the website under more, or you can get to it by going directly to bit.ly. That's B I T dot L Y slash body liberation guide. And I have a, uh, a pretty active Instagram that has lots of advocacy posts and videos, and it is at body liber excuse me, body liberation with Lindley. Awesome. Thank you. And yes, you do have amazing advocacy posts that make me think. <laughs> and I Good. appreciate that. I like social media that makes me think. Um, Lindley, it has been awesome having you on today. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of um, your Seattle fall um, to spend time with us and talk about this extremely important topic. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.